What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. I knew I had to talk about this book. If I don't, several of my friends will call me and wonder what imposter was <laughs> on here. Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 159. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, I got the loveliest email from What Should I Read Next listener, Kim, a university professor in Tennessee. Here's what she said. Last week in my advanced composition class, I was talking to my class about their book talk assignment. In the book talk, students chose a book about writing, critique it, and sell it to the class. To demonstrate, I used Anne's new book, I'd Rather Be Reading. After my book talk, I told them about Anne's podcast and explained the concept. They were very interested, so on the spot, I decided to do a What Should I Read Next for them. I asked for a volunteer who told me three books she loved, one she didn't, and what she was reading at the time. I recommended a book for her, and a few other students recommended books for her too. The class loved it, and they wanted more. In the end, every student in the class went home with five or six book recommendations. They had a blast. Thank you for giving us this moment to bond in a college classroom. Kim, that sounds like so much fun. Thanks for listening and for introducing What Should I Read Next to your students. Readers, we have a great episode for you today. Shantae Hopkins discovered Jane Austen's books for the first time as an adult, and after that initial discovery, she dove in deep. Today, we're talking about the magic of immersive literary events that celebrate the classics, and not just Jane, and how they've changed the way Shantae reads her most beloved books. We're also exploring her 10 years of book journaling, the book she's still hung over from, and my recommendation for her includes a book you have probably never heard of. Let's get to it. Shantae, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You are right down the road in Lexington, Kentucky, and I'm here in Louisville, so not far at all. And I'm actually from Louisville, so I'm familiar with your city. Used to driving up and down I-64? Yes, I am. My parents live there, always going back and forth, especially around the holidays. Now, I thought I might get to bump into you recently at the Jane Austen Festival here in Louisville, because I know that's something that you've attended. Yes, it is. I've attended the Jane Austen Festival for three, I think this was my third year um, at the festival. So um, it's always a good time. My Jane Austen book club, the organizer of that book club, she introduced me to the Jane Austen Festival. She is on the board that organizes the festival in Louisville. um, And she introduced me to that uh, when I joined the book club a few years ago. Okay. So for those readers who have never been, which is probably pretty much everybody, because this is in Louisville, Kentucky, 
this is a big deal. What was your level of involvement? Did you just like go and snoop and check it out like I did? Or were you like full on head to toe Regency dress? Because there are a lot of people in actual Regency dress at the Jane Austen Festival. Right. Which sounded really (laughs) like, are you serious to me? But then you go and everybody's having such a good time just indulging their inner nerd. Yeah, I appreciate the people in Regency dress. That's part of the reason why I like to go. It really helps to bring the period to life. Um, But I have not bought a dress yet. I did tell one of my book club friends that next year would be the year that I do it and go full Regency attire. And I may even dance at the ball. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, because there's a ball. Have you been to the ball? Yes. Yes. Um, This year was my first year going to the ball. All right. Paint the picture for us. It's great. You don't have to be in Regency dress. I, you know, I wore a maxi dress to try to just blend in with everybody. But, you know, everybody is in Regency attire and there's someone calling the dance. I think that's what you call it. Some people have rehearsed and then some people are like me, you know, stumbling <laughs> over their feet a little bit. But and then, you know, it's odd because then um, there are a dozen or so people standing around, you know, holding up iPhones, Instagramming. So it's, <laughs> you're trying to, you know, get into the the mood. But then you're reminded that we're still in 2018. It was a great time. Um, I had a lot of fun. The music, everything, just all those balls I've read about in Jane Austen novels. When you experience something like this, next time I read those scenes, you know, I'll be able to imagine them even better. Does it change the way you read, do you think? Just being able to better visualize what's actually happening on page 67? It does. I read Jane Austen before I joined my Jane Austen book club, before I attended a Jane Austen festival. So at the time, I didn't really know much about Regency attire or things about you know, that period that I've learned since that adds context. And now when I go back and I reread, I'm able to imagine things better. I'm able to think a little bit more about the history at the time that's maybe not necessarily on the page. So for people who are thinking like, I don't know, that sounds like a lot of work and I'm an introvert, I'd rather stay home and read. (laughs) I'd love to hear about maybe something you learned that concretely changed how you understood what was on the page. Uh, The theme for the Jane Austen Festival this year was persuasion because it's the 200th anniversary of persuasion. And that's also my favorite Jane Austen novel. They had several speakers come in and talk about various elements of that novel. One speaker probably not going to remember all the details, but she talked about how Captain Wentworth made his money, um, you know, because he's there and then, you know, he goes away for eight years and and just waiting. He comes back a lot wealthier. And so this speaker talked about just what, what happened on the ship <laughs> that allowed Captain Wentworth to come back wealthy. The speaker also talked about things that would have happened in that period, I guess, after the novel's written that added some context to how it ends. They're happily ever after. But, you know, there are uh, things that a reader at that time would know, well, he's he may end up on a ship again. If you know the history, then you can kind of get an idea about things that might happen after the last page. Right. Because no matter how many times you read Persuasion, nothing in the text is going to tell you that stuff that you learned at that Jane Austen meeting. Right. And it's worth knowing as much about Jane Austen as possible. <laughs> it is. <yes. laughs> I don't know if everybody agrees with that. Yeah, I'm still learning. I have several friends teaching me, but I'm having a fun time learning about all of it. Did you first get interested in the Jane Austen Society of your own accord or did you get dragged into your first meeting by a friend? <laughs> 
really? They dragged me in. So I read I, for years and years. You know, I'd been meaning to read Jane Austen's novels because and I think a lot of people either read Jane Austen in school or even if it wasn't an assignment, um, read it on their own. And I didn't. I feel like I came to Jane Austen uh, very late in life. Um, so I read it on my own, all the novels. And then I felt like I was so you know in love with all of them that I thought I can't believe this over where are the other novels you know she's not going to write anything else (laughs) Um, what what do I do and I think I remember thinking you know there are probably other authors out there that I would enjoy um, that are similar to Jane Austen I've since discovered Edith Wharton and you know some others um, but I found out about the Jane Austen book club in Lexington through one of our local bookstores my friend Amanda, she is very active in the Jane Austen Society of North America, Louisville chapter, um, and they organized the, the festival in Louisville. So once I joined that book club and I got to know her, then, you know, it was like, hey, you have to go to a, a Jane Austen festival. You'll love it. And, and I did. I love that when you ran out of Jane Austen novels, instead of only casting about for what to read next, because that is a common reaction when you finish that last one, your reaction was obviously like to go deeper instead of yes. branch out. Definitely. I want to go deeper into Jane Austen and then also discover other authors and uh, classics that I'd missed. Now, I know that the Jane Austen Society events aren't your only bookish events that you attend every year in Kentucky, which I know some people are thinking <laughs> of all places, but we have some good cultural stuff going on here. Tell me about the classic novel theme party you went to, because that sounds amazing. Yes, it's coming up in a few weeks. That is the Carnegie Classics event uh, here in Lexington, Kentucky. The Carnegie Center for Literacy and Learning um, here in Lexington, they have readings, they have classes, but this event every year for, I want to say five, five or six years now, and I've been to all of them, they will pick a classic novel and then everything fits the theme of the novel. So this year, um, the theme is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So they'll have art and performances throughout the night. Last year was Alice in Wonderland. They've done, I think one of my favorites was 1984, To Kill a Mockingbird. That was, you know, all, yeah, Southern food. Catcher in the Rye, they turned the location into Central Park, um, and we had York Street food. It's what? it's a great event, and I have no idea what they have in store this year, but it's always a lot of fun. They'll have themed drinks. I didn't know how much this was missing in my life. I didn't know what to expect, and I thought this is going to be one of those super nerdy things that I'm going to go to, and no one else is really going to be interested. But so I just went, you know, I just went by myself, and I thought this, like, should I keep it a secret? So you know, so um, because it's also a very reasonable <laughs> ticket price for all of this. It's a lot of fun, especially if you like classic books. <laughs> that sounds like so much fun. Yeah, it is. Classic novel theme party. I don't know. When you said that, I just wasn't really picturing New York street food. They really take the book and they run with it. Sometimes they'll do readings and sometimes they'll do, um, there's a virtual reality event. 1984, they had a band that played a lot of loud, angry music. It's been a while since I read the book, Um, but it's just, it, it fit the theme. Now, I get to go to the Kentucky Book Festival this year, but it's my first time. I know you've been a lot, though. I have. 
Yeah. Do you have any memorable experiences to share? Yeah, I do. Uh, by the way, I saw, I just, I got my brochure in the mail and I'm just flipping through it as I do you know, every year and I saw your name. And so I'm, I'll have to come to your session. I'm excited to go. Yeah. So I go to this festival every year and, you know, I start talking to authors and then I spend way too much money. <laughs> One year I decided to volunteer for the festival because I thought if I, I need, I have to be there. It's a book festival. So I, you know, I have to be there. I can't not go. But I thought, well, maybe I could just volunteer and I'll be too busy to spend a lot of money. <laughs> but, <laughs> so um, that was fun. So they assigned me to be a personal assistant to Wendell Berry, um, who I know oh. is one of your favorites. <laughs> That's the dream. But I didn't know what I was getting into. I worked every bit of that two hours because <laughs> they, um, I had to stand at his signing line and write down the names of the people wanting their books signed um, so that he could quickly and easily sign those and then pass Wendell Berry the books. I knew when living in Kentucky, you can't not know Wendell Berry, but I just... This moment is when I realized like how big of a deal he was in Kentucky. He had the longest line of anybody, any author at the Kentucky Book Fair. Um, and people, you know, they wanted to share their stories about when they first met Wendell Berry. And he remembered so many of the people who stopped to talk to him and from just, you know, decades um, that he's, you know, been out here writing. They love him. And so back to what had happened at some point during this two hours, he decided he wanted to take a break. And he told me because that's why I'm there. And I look and the line is so long. How am I supposed to, <laughs> you know, I can't stop this line. It, you know, we, he definitely wasn't going to get a break at the table. He wanted to just walk away for a second. So I kind of had to go to the end of the line and, you know, tell people he would be right back. And it took so long. He is book fair, you know, rock star. Um, so it was, yeah, it was just, I've worked up a sweat. That was a, an experience that I will not ever forget. And then I went and bought books, spent more money. So <laughs> <laughs> So your actual volunteer goals were not met, but it sounds like you had a great experience. I did. I really did. Even if you did spend like the book cash, I'm super jealous. But Shantae, when you're not out socializing with other readers, I understand you have a very specific reading goal you've been focusing on for a few years. Could you tell us about that? Um, I've made an effort in the last, I'd say six or seven years um, to read more classics that I didn't read in school, um, didn't read on my own when I was younger. Books that have been around, you know, for hundreds of years. Every year, there are always new books, always something shiny asking for my attention. Right now, um, I'm also into book clubs, so those books always need attention. But I've really made an effort to try to read um, more classic books in my Jane Austen book club. It's helped. I've read all of Jane Austen. I've read uh, North and South. I've read, a t finally, I think A Tale of Two Cities sat on my bookshelf for 15, 20 years before I read it um, wow. in the last couple of years. <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> um, and Jane Eyre, uh, I just got to that a couple of years ago. I'm trying to read all of the Brontes. So I think I have 
two, maybe three books left. Wow. For all three sisters? Yes. Yes. For all three. So you made a lot of headway. Yeah. I love Jane Eyre. Uh, Wuthering Heights, not so much. I heard Wuthering Heights was some great love story and I just think they're dysfunctional and I didn't really <laughs> enjoy it at all. But no, I've read so many great books and it's weird when you're reading a book that everybody knows about, like Jane Eyre or, you know, Persuasion or Pride and Prejudice. And here I am reading it, you know, for the first time and everybody knows about this book. Everybody knows it's great because, you know, that's why it's still around 200 years later. And I want it to just, you know, scream, you know, from the rooftops, do you know about this? I'm like, the rest of the world's like, duh, we know. <laughs> you know. Unlike a new novel where, you know, you would recommend it to your friends, maybe to your book club. With these classic books I've been reading, they're so great. And, you know, but I, I don't really recommend them because I feel like you've either read them or you have had a chance to read them and chose not to read them for whatever reason. Or you're, you know, like me and just haven't gotten around to it yet. So usually what I end up doing is just copying passages on Instagram or Facebook <laughs> <laughs> to share with people. I think the the way that I read those is a little bit different. I love that you do that because I know it feels, especially when you look on Goodreads and you see that A Tale of Two Cities has half a million reviews or ratings, right. which I'm making that up. I don't know how many it actually has, but it would be fun to look. It does feel like everyone has read it, but we know that's not the case. We know how many read. I mean, you still have classics you haven't read and you've been diligently trying right. for years now. You've been on a mission and I have classics I haven't read, even though they're on my bookshelf because I get distracted by the shiny and new books are being published all the time. So I still haven't read as much Edith Wharton as I would like to. Although now I can finally say I have actually read Edith Wharton. So I'm making progress, but I love seeing your quotes like that on Instagram because for everybody in Instagram sharing a beautiful photo of Jane Eyre. There are a whole bunch of people who will see that and think, oh, I got to make time to read that. Right. After looking at it on my bookshelf for 15 or 20 years, like you were with A Tale of Two Cities. Absolutely. That's how, that's how I feel about it. Oh, with a lot of those books, I have several editions of the, I think I have five editions of Persuasion because... Well, I mean, <laughs> it is your favorite Austin novel. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, Shante, I can't wait to hear about your books. Are you ready to talk about your favorites? I am. Readers, we okay. You know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And we will talk about what you may enjoy reading next. First of all, how did you choose these? Are these lifetime favorites? Are these the past year? How did you decide? I wouldn't say lifetime favorites yet. In any time, if I read a book this year and I love it, I may be prepared to say this is a lifetime favorite. Actually, one of the books on my list, um, when I closed the book, I thought this could be my all-time favorite book. But then so often I will read a book, love a book, or may even just feel, you know, like it's just a good book. You may be maybe like three out of five stars. But as time passes, you know, and I think about it, sometimes I like it more, sometimes I like it less. So a lot of times I feel like if it's a newer book, I have to wait to see if it stands the test of time or maybe a reread. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes um, a book comes to me at just the right time and I love it in that moment. And then I revisit it later and I don't love it as much. Mm -hmm. I've kept a book journal for almost 10 years now. So tried to go with books I've read in the last 10 years so I could look back at my book journal. What inspired you to start that journal 10 years ago? I have no idea. <laughs> That's what, um, I don't, I'm going to guess that 
I was 25 years old and already read a lot of books. I read so many that when I would think about the book or try to recommend the book to somebody, you know, I just remembered a feeling and not necessarily any quote or detail. Sometimes I couldn't even remember the characters' names. So I started the book journal so that I could look back three years later and say, here's why I like this book, because it's just a quick note about why I liked it. Any quotes that I want to remember, sometimes I write down characters' names. And also so that, you know, if my book club decides to read a book that I read three or four years ago, I mean, I don't want to reread it. Um, I can at least share with my book club, you know, why I like that book. I'm using notes from my book journal. So I'm really glad now that I did that because it's been um, very helpful to me. Actually, I think all of the books um, that I wanted to talk about today, you can kind of tell if I loved it because I write pages and pages and pages of notes on that book. And there's just quote after quote after quote. Well, I can't wait to hear what you chose, especially because you're not just relying on impressions, but actual detailed records. Shantae, tell me about the first book you love. Okay. A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. Um, mm-hmm. And I know your feelings on this book. I know that you said you're terrified of this book. <laughs> <laughs> But this was the first book that I thought about. I knew I had to talk about this book. And if I don't, several of my friends will call me and wonder what imposter <laughs> was on here. And I also, I know this book is not for everyone. And one of my book clubs did read this book, not because I recommended it. I didn't, but because I wouldn't shut up about it. <laughs> and so they, they said, you know, we'll, we'll do it then. And, and actually, I was surprised. Well, almost everybody who finished it and showed up really loved the book. So... So I read it three years ago, um, and it's been the longest book hangover ever. (laughs) I feel like I read it yesterday. (laughs) Okay. Maybe I need to get over myself because people who love it talk about it the way you are now. Like they won't shut up about it. And I say that is like how to know if a book is really great. You know, how to know if it really resonated with the reader. And it's that they can't stop talking about it. Oh, even though I know it's so hard to read. My favorite review, I think it might've been the New York Times. I don't remember, but I just remember reading review that says this thing has more triggers than a Texas gun show. Oh, yes. But I might need to get over it. I saw a review. It maybe was on uh, Goodreads and it said, this is the most devastating book that you will ever read. And it's almost so the best book you'll ever read. And that is that's where I am. (laughs) Okay. since I haven't read it, I imagine you like this because it takes you places emotionally. I hear the prose is beautiful and lyrical. It's a story of four friends over many years. Anything you want to add to that for my my quick punch list? That's correct. It's just, you know, it's a devastating book, but it also starts out, you know, a book about four friends in New York City. Even before I read the book, I love books set in New York City. So, you know, I was already going to pick it up for that reason. And then it gradually moves to focus on one character named Jude, gradually gives you details about things that have happened in his past. Traumatic things continue to happen to him. That's not why I like the book. The reason that I love this book so much, what you said about taking me, you know, places emotionally that no book ever has. (laughs) I've never gone there with any other book. The way that the main character's friends and his family consistently show up for him and love him and try to support him 
it's a message that I think we can all learn from just being there for people that you care about and trying to help them as much as possible. And the main character, Jude, is so real to me that it was tough to read, but I felt like I knew Jude. And, you know, when bad things happened to him, you know, I would get angry, you know, have an argument with a friend. And, you know, they said something in the heat of the moment that they didn't mean. Reading this, like, no, don't say that to him. I've read some Brene Brown, and and I think I read one of her books around the time that I read A Little Life three years ago. I wanted to, you know, hop in this book and hand him one of her books to just help him battle this negative self-talk. Oh my gosh, I love it. The character is that real to me. I am really big on characters that I can relate to, not necessarily even if I can't relate to them, just that their stories, she's written such a great book that I know all of them and I don't want to leave them. Okay. I hadn't heard that about the support from family and friends. I find that really interesting. But also knowing what I know, it tells me that you're okay if it's bleak and you're okay to go dark. You don't need a book where everything's tied up with a bow or that has a happy ending or that never makes you feel sad. I am. Excellent. (laughs) Tell me about another book you love. Jane Eyre by Uh Charlotte Bronte. I love Jane Eyre because I love Jane Eyre's spirit. I love that she's a strong, you know, independent character. But the number one reason why I love this book so much, if you look at the copy of Jane Eyre that I read two years ago, I've highlighted so many things and (laughs) marked so so many passages. (laughs) Anything that's, you know, highlightable, like I'm big on that. Any, you know, life advice that I can get. I read mostly fiction and I may read a couple of, uh, narrative nonfiction books a year. But I think that anybody who says you can't learn from fiction, there are so many things that you can learn about human nature and just about being a person in the world. Uh, with Jane Eyre, early on, one of my favorite chapters, she's in school and she has a friend who's dying, Helen Burns. And she says so many things about, you know, enduring bad things that happen to you. These are things that you think about and come back to. That's a little bit about why I like Jane Eyre. Okay. Well, I'm glad that having put this one off for a long time, that it also paid off. Yeah. And I'm also a sucker every time for the ridiculous declarations of love. So obviously from my love of Jane Austen too. (laughs) (laughs) That is something the Janes have in common. Shantae, what is the third book that you love? The third book is The Signature of All Things by Elizabeth Gilbert. Uh-huh. Elizabeth Gilbert is such a great storyteller. I read this book in print five or so years ago. And then just recently I listened to it on audio and it's so great on audio. She's such a good storyteller. I feel like I'm reading this story and it's not even, it's about a woman in the, she's born in 1800 and it follows this woman from the time she's born until, you know, very late in her life. She dedicates her life to studying moths and it doesn't sound that interesting but she's such a good storyteller and is such a good writer there are scenes in that book that are so vivid in my mind um there's one in particular early in the book I remember just pausing and reading it again and then I typed out probably you know two paragraphs on Facebook because it was just such a beautiful scene um she's such a great writer such a great storyteller uh Alma uh, she's the main character I love her 
you know, she lives most of her life uh, independently and just going through her day to day struggles with um, being accepted as a woman in her role in life and dealing with love issues. And it's all it's, it's a great book. I love the visual of you like needing to keep typing all the quotes yes. <laughs> onto Facebook because you loved it so much. OK, that tells me a lot about what you're looking for in a book. Let's talk about what you're not looking for in a book. What book wasn't for you? The book that wasn't for me was Longborn by Joe Baker. I don't know how much you'll be able to glean from hate of this book, but <laughs> because it's a Pride and Prejudice retelling. And I do love a Pride and Prejudice retelling. Oh, and I was so excited by the premise of this one. Yes. I And the cover, mm-hmm. is, I love the cover. I wanted to love this book. But before talking to you, I try. I wanted to refresh my memory. Um, so I got the book from the library um, because I think I gave mine away. And I started looking through it to try to remember what I didn't like about it. Uh, on the inside front cover, there's something that says Pride and Prejudice was only half the story. And then I just stopped there because I remembered that that was my problem with this retelling. Pride and Prejudice wasn't half the story. Pride and Prejudice is a story, a whole story by itself. And I love retellings. There's um, one eligible by Curtis Sittenfield that I read and loved. Mm -hmm. There's a recent one that just came out this year, Pride um, by E.B. Zaboy. Um, I thought that that was... I just finished that. I read it and, you know, I thought that, you know, it's this story in this gentrifying neighborhood in Brooklyn. And I thought, well, this is a great setting, you know, and they're doing something, but it's a story by itself. You know, you're taking that and um, adapting it to modern times with, you know, different people. And, you know, so those two books I did enjoy. But Longborn relied on the text of Pride and Prejudice and almost changed what happened in Pride and Prejudice sometimes because one point when one of the characters from that novel, you know, comes downstairs and they start interacting, I thought, well, that couldn't have happened because of you know, what I know to be true from Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. I think Alexander McCall Smith said that uh, one messes with the classics at one's peril. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I'm okay with people messing with the classics, but and I was really okay with her making Wickham like an even more dastardly dude. But yes, that was the part that bothered me the most. I think I just wanted I I think I just wanted Wickham to be the Wickham of Pride and Prejudice and not (laughs) hear any more about Wickham in Longmore. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So retellings aren't necessarily off the table. That one just didn't float your boat. Absolutely not. Like I said, eligible. I loved Pride. I thought it was very good. A retelling of a classic novel I am absolutely open to. I just finished another one that you can put on your um, to-be-read list. I think you're going to want to read it. It's called Unmarriageable. It's by Sonia Kamal. It comes out in January, and it is Pride and Prejudice set in modern-day Pakistan. It's a lot of fun. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. think maybe I saw a picture of it somewhere, but I didn't uh, know much about it. So that definitely sounds like And it does not have a serious tone. It has a fun and funny and snappy and let's keep this thing moving kind of tone. Okay. Maybe like eligible a little bit or... It's not Curtis Sittenfeld, but if there's a spectrum between Joe Baker and Curtis Sittenfeld, it hits like 75% of the way towards Curtis. Okay. Okay. That sounds great. I'm flailing my hands in the air right now, plotting this <laughs> on the map for you. <laughs> Shante, what are you reading right now? Right now, I'm reading The Mars Room by Rachel Kushner. Uh-huh. Well, the reason I'm reading is because one of my coworkers told me it was the best book that he's read 
ever. So uh, I had it sitting on my bookshelf. And after I heard that, and then also at the time when he said that, it was on the shortlist for a National Book Award. Um, so that got my attention. So I pulled it off the bookshelf. I've had it, I think, since summer. <laughs> and finally, um, you know, it took being nominated for an award and a coworker praising it for me to start reading it. Um, I'm not too far into it, but I am it really enjoying it so far. Um, a lot, actually. But I'm only 50 or 60 pages into it. My coworker told me, you know, it doesn't have very, I think he said a strong plot, but it's written sort of like vignettes of this woman who is in prison for it. I don't know why she's in prison yet. And it keeps going back and forth in time to her life in prison and then before. So it seems like it's going to be a very um, unique, interesting, good book. And I mean, what I've read so far, it could be a five star book for me. Okay. I'm crossing my fingers. That works out for you. For your reading life, I hear you're interested in reading more fantasy and science fiction. Those, those are genres you don't read a ton. I don't. I mostly read, I guess you would call it contemporary literary nonfiction uh, and, and also classics. But there have been a handful of fantasy books. I'm thinking about books like Wicked by Gregory Maguire, which I read uh-huh. forever ago, but I remember that I loved it and I've been meaning to reread it for many years. It has you know these animals running around and I read it you know before I saw the musical also great but you know it dealt with some really heavy issues about class and good and evil um, and I love that book I've also read a few books that I guess you would call um, historical fantasy Sorcerer to the Crown I think the author is Jin Cho I enjoyed, you know, like being in that period and I was okay with a little bit of magic, Um, but that's not my typical (laughs) go-to. So, but what makes you want to move that direction? Well, I think that there are probably books that fall into the fantasy or science fiction category, things that I... I'm missing because it's not on my, not on my radar. And then, you know, if I hear about something has magic or whatever, usually, you know, I turn away. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, because I have enjoyed a few, I think that there are probably books out there that fall into other genres that I would enjoy. Okay. That's good to know. And I like that you're open-minded for fear of missing a great book. Yeah, I am. Definitely. Making notes, making stars, actually. (laughs) And I also remember you saying that you were on the hunt for a big book you can really sit with this winter. Right now, I'm in a really good place because I've read all the books for the year for both of my book clubs. A lot of this is thanks to you and your uh, summer reading list. Like This summer was, I think, one of the best summers for reading that I've ever had. (laughs) I'm so glad. Right now, I feel like... I am not as distracted by book club books and also recently published, you know, what's hot books. And I really love a book that I can just sit with for a while. Right now would be a great time for maybe some of those slower paced books or even bigger books um, because I don't have a giant stack, you know, looking at me, staring at me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, saying, get to me, get to me. Mm -hmm. So uh, that would be a great time for a a bigger, maybe a slower pace or just something um, that I can just kind of hang out with for a bit. All right, let's do this. Are you ready? I'm ready. Shantae, I'm thinking about your books. I think we're both clear on what you like. Strong characters, interesting plot, dark is okay. 
And I'm really paying attention to the novels that have stuck with you because they're all novels. I'm noticing Um, a little life had a character that you felt you knew so well, you wanted to give him Brene Brown books. (laughs) So Jane Eyre, 200 years prior, also you really, really connected with. Okay. I'm going to take this bit by bit. Are you ready? I am. First, I want to say that I'm really noticing what you like in style and tone. So I really perked up when you talked about how, you know, you love a book if you want to, the writing is just so beautiful that you need to write the quote down. The way the story is written really matters to you. The words on the page and the order they go in is something that is either going to make you really happy or I get the impression that you are stingy with your stars. I don't know how you, yeah, I am, but you're absolutely right. (laughs) Okay. Pivoting off Jane Eyre. I'd like to know if you have read Wide Sargasso Sea by Jean Reese. Is this a book you know? Actually, I own that book. I just bought it. Do you really? At, I just bought it in Louisville at Locust Grove. So, and I have not read it yet. <laughs> oh, they have great book sales at Locust Grove. Well, I think there may be a reason it was calling your name. This is a Jane Eyre prequel. If anybody has read a more recent book that got a lot of attention called Mr. Rochester that was written from the perspective of Mr. Rochester, and it goes back to the Caribbean and you find out the roots of the wife in the attic, this does the same thing, except this is a modern classic, or actually it was published in the 60s. We might even be able to call it a bona fide classic by now, since so many people use 50 years as the cutoff point, but it does the same thing. It's like a Jane Eyre prequel. Jean Reese, she was born and she grew up in the Caribbean. So this was a setting she knew very well. And then she moved to England when she was 16, where she went to boarding school. This is definitely her best known novel. It's a slim little book. It's less than 200 pages. And I know you're ready to sit in with a big long one and we will get to that, but this is a small investment of your time and it might pay off really big for you. So many people liked Mr. Rochester because they loved hearing the story behind the story and it's speculation, but I do feel like it gives that context that has meant so much to you in learning more about Jane Eyre. Just like, okay, where did Bertha come from and where was she born and what were Mr. Rochester's roots? And so in the story, they go back to the Caribbean and you see the arranged marriage between Rochester and Bertha and our impression from Jane Eyre. You might not like this. I'm thinking about Longbourn, but our impression of who got the better end of the deal, Reese kind of plays with that. The events actually going on in the Caribbean at that time in history were very interesting. And the way that Reese makes that pertinent to Jane Eyre and really explores the story behind the story, the actual historical story behind the novel Jane Eyre is really fascinating. And just the creativity, it's imaginative, but it's not like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. That can never happen. It's not far-fetched like that. But the way she gives a voice and a history to this character from Jane Eyre, who's so, so important, but doesn't have any of that is really interesting. And she writes very lyrical, carefully constructed prose, the kind you might want to quote in your journal. (laughs) I think there's a reason this book was calling out to you at Locust Grove. I don't know. How does that sound to you? It sounds great. With Jane Eyre, you know, she endures so much, but then I realized that, wait, there's a wife in the attic who is enduring a lot more than Jane Eyre. So I would like to uh, delve more and learn more about that character. Also, I like what you said about um, adding context to Jane Eyre. I'm glad to hear it. 
I hope you love it. Okay, we're going to move from 170-something pages to (laughs) more than that. This one could definitely check your big book you can sit with for a while box. If you get a version with tiny type, it's going to come in at about 600 pages, but mine on the shelf is 837. Oh, wow. So... I know. I don't know if that's scary or if that's like, yes, bring it. Right now, that okay. sounds great. I'm okay. I'm comfortable with that. Because we could go longer. There are options oh. that I think would, <laughs> would make you happy. No. But the one I'm thinking of is A Fine Balance by Rohinton Mystery. Is this a book you know? I don't know anything about that book. Oh, that is music to my ears, Dante. (laughs) Okay. See if this sounds familiar. This is an epic story of four people who become friends. It's not set in New York City, though. So I think think we got to stop the parallels to a little life right there. But it's set in India in 1975. Rohinton Mystery is... Indian ethnically, but he is a Canadian writer. He sets the story in 1975, even though it was written after that. And what happens is the prime minister declares a state of emergency because of great political unrest threatening the prime minister. That is how four ordinary middle-class people end up living in one tiny crowded little apartment. This is the story of how they attempt to survive against the backdrop of serious political unrest during an interesting time full of upheaval in India. We have two itinerant tailors who are related to each other. We have a college student and we have a middle-aged widow. What I like about this story is you have this period of time, but you don't see it like you would in a textbook. You see it through the experiences of these four individuals with very specific lives. When you said like, oh, I just want a character that I can really get to know, I think that's what you're going to really enjoy about this book. So it's got great setting, great writing, great story, but characters that you really want to come alongside and cheer for. And we'll find out if you want to hand them Brene Brown books, and if so, which one. But I think there's potential there. That sounds like something that I will probably run to the bookstore and get. (laughs) I don't know how I've never heard of it because it sounds so much up my alley. It's sad and hard things happen to them, but it's so good. I think it checks your boxes. There's probably, you know, a lot that we can learn from these characters characters and their struggle for survival and, and, and great characters. This sounds really good. (laughs) Okay, good, 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 good. Yeah. You can just run away with that. That sounds perfect. Okay. For your third book, I'd really like to move gently in the fantasy sci-fi direction. Okay. I'm debating between a gently, I'm thinking gently moving this direction, Shantae. Maybe you want to plunge in with both feet, but gently sounds nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was thinking about State of Wonder by Ann Patchett. That's a book that has a science-y kind of plot, a substance that allows women to become pregnant for decades after they can now is discovered in the depths of the rainforest and then bad things happen. But we've talked about that on the podcast before. I think it's been over a year, but I'm also thinking of this unique lesser known book by Louise Erdrich called The Antelope Wife. Let's go obscure. Why not? I've never heard of that one. Yeah, a lot of people haven't. She has become very well-known, I think, the past five years, but this book was written more like 20 years ago. But she writes poetic prose, and in this book, she combines it with magical realism. Oh, yeah. that You want to go there? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. This is set during contemporary times, or at least some of the story is, and it's set in the Minneapolis area. We all know where Minneapolis is, but then she adds the history. And this book is seeped in Native American culture. So this is the story of two families of the Ojibwa tribe, and their stories are inextricably linked 
through the generations because of something that happened in their past. So this is a story about love and the power of family, tradition, and unbreakable bonds, no matter how much all those involved wish that those bonds could actually be broken. I like the way she uses really inventive ways of telling the story. So I wouldn't say this strongly resembles Wicked, but Wicked really does interesting things to our normal narrative, right? Erdrich also uses really inventive ways of telling the story. One of the more memorable narrators is, I'll just go and tell you, there's a dog. There's a dog who tells you part of the story. And that narration is especially striking and memorable and interesting and noteworthy. And it's the kind of thing that sticks with you. Something that concerns me about this is the story is a little fragmented and disjointed. That's by design. It's supposed to be. But I don't know that that means that you'll like it but I do think you're going to find it interesting. Well, I have read books that I would consider fragmented, disjointed. Um, Maybe you don't always necessarily know what's happening. Um, You can't, you know, because of the way the story is told. Is that kind of what you're talking about? No, I think you can keep up. But she relies on her reader to see how they all fit together. Okay. And some people get annoyed with that, but I think you can do it. I, I don't think it's going to make you crazy, but I want you to know that that's my concern. Actually, that I mean, that sounds great to me. So I would consider myself a slow reader. And I think one thing that works for me is a book where if you have to pay attention, I think I'm pretty good at that <laughs> um, because I'm a slow reader and I pay attention to details. I like that you know that about yourself. That's good to know. Shantae, of those three books, what do you think you'll read next? Well, they all sound great. I'm going to get a fine balance soon. Um, but because I have wide Sargasso Sea sitting on my shelf looking at me, <laughs> that will probably be what I read next. That sounds like an excellent place to start. And I can't wait to hear what you think. I'm sure I will love all of them. Well, even if you don't, that would be an interesting conversation. <laughs> and I'm so glad we got to talk books today. Thanks so much for coming on. Me too. Thank you. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Shantae, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 159, that's 159, and it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Get all the latest What Should I Read Next news and updates by signing up for our free weekly newsletter at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. If you enjoy this podcast and want to support it, please share it with a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or buy or borrow a copy of my new book, I'd Rather Be Reading, for yourself or a friend. Next week, I'm joined by John Cohen, who felt destined to be a writer after growing up in a magical world of books supplied by his English teacher father and librarian mother. Here's a sneak peek. My mom kind of disappeared for a couple of years when I was around, I don't know, eight or nine, because she was going to library school. Ultimately became the children's librarian of my elementary school. It, sort of the unusual, sort of magical, strange part was my mom was the person who sat on the edge of the bed at night and sort of read a story or told a story and so forth. Then to have her get a job at my elementary school while I was there and to walk into the library and see her surrounded by other kids and what used to be my sort of personal magical territory, I thought, like, Mom, isn't that, isn't that something we do at home and now all these other kids? I never thought what that might be like for you. Yeah, right. So to have my personal reader sort of uh, co-opted was, was uh, a strange experience. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We'll see you next week. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. 
That is Anne with an E, B is in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! Cheers!